Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast, a proud member of the Headcast family. I am your host, as always, Aaron Moss, otherwise known as Brother Head. The Task Force Headcast follows the adventures of DC Comics' Task Force X. Task Force X was made up of the Suicide Squad comic, created by John Ostrander and Ryan Scott, which started in the late 80s, and the sister comic, Checkmate, which was created by Paul Kuppenberg and Steve Irwin. These were the two sides of DC's Espionage comics. I will attempt to chronicle each title and all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during this era. Hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Okay, first, there's been a slight change of plans. Uh, last time I announced I was going to do Brave and the Bold, I believe it was issues 37, 38, and 39, the last three appearances of the Suicide Squad, and then uh, an issue of Action Comics. As I said last episode, those Brave and the Bold issues, while they, were, they weren't bad, they just weren't my cup of tea. It was hard for me to get into them. I spoke with Shag from over at uh, the Fire, Firestorm fan, and he reminded me of something that he's always saying on his uh, podcast, discover, discover your joy. You need to read something that's going to give you joy, give you happiness. Uh, those issues just weren't doing it for me. So I'm going to postpone those. Maybe I'll do them at a later time, or maybe I'll, I'll slip them in here and there. But at this point, we're going to skip those, and we're going to go ahead and straight to the good stuff. Uh, today, we're going to go over issues. Try that again. Today, we're going to cover Legends, a comic series put out by DC Comics back in the 80s, uh, issues 1 through 3. Uh, this is where the new Suicide Squad uh, first appeared at. So we're going to cover the first three issues of that six-issue miniseries. Uh, also, uh, we'll have our character profile of Deadshot. Uh, so hold on, sit down, strap yourself in, enjoy the ride. Okay, as I said, our first character profile today will be Deadshot, a.k.a. Floyd Lawton. Uh, he was created by Mr. Bob Kane, David Vern Reed, and Lou Shorts. Uh, he first appeared back in Batman 15, issue 59, back in June, July of 1950. On IGN's Top 100 Comic Book Villains of All Time, Deadshot was ranked as number 43. Not too bad. Uh, teams he's been on, he's been on The Secret Six, Killer Elite, Checkmate, Underground Society, and yep, Suicide Squad. His abilities, he's an expert marksman, and he has a cybernetic eye that grants increased accuracy and provides additional mission and target data. A little about Deadshot, uh, his background, he was a hired assassin. Uh, he boasts that he never misses what he's aiming at. Try that again in English for you. He boasts that he never misses what he's aiming at. Uh, old Floyd can use a variety of weapons. Almost any weapon he picks up he can use. But he normally prefers using wrist-mounted silenced guns. I think they're kind of cool. Uh, he appears in Gotham as a new crime fighter originally, trying to replace Batman. Uh, Batman and Gordon publicly expose his plot to become the king of Gotham's underworld, and he ended up going to jail. After serving some time... Or, sorry, after serving his time, served it all, uh, he started hiring his services out as an assassin. 
Originally, his costume was a top coat and tails, which he changed to the classic red jumpsuit with a face mask with a targeting, targeting system on the right side. Uh, later on, they'll writers will go back and they'll reveal his past. Uh, his mother, talk, let's talk about his mother, his abusive father, uh, his brother whom he idolizes. Uh, apparently at one time his father attacked his brother. Uh, Floyd, trying to help out, tried to shoot his dad. Uh, I guess from a branch. I haven't re read this story. I'm just going by what I've read online. Apparently he was sitting on a tree and tried to shoot his father. The branch broke and he accidentally shot his brother and killed him. Uh, the psychological side effects of this are widely seen in the reasoning behind Deadshot's affiliation towards surrogate brothers. And... Uh, his disregard for his own life and his inability to kill Batman. And also why he uh, claims he never misses because he's practiced so much because of that one incident. Uh, he has been a major figure in the Suicide Squad in the last two incarnations, where his skills as a marksman and his disregard for human life have served to advance the group's objectives. Uh, probably his most defining trait is his desire, desire to die in a spectacular fashion, uh, this being the primary motivation for joining something called a suicide squad, uh, he feels he has he feels he has no reason to live, and why he doesn't want to commit suicide, he doesn't care if he dies. Uh, various reasons have been cited for this, but the most common thread is his parents' peculiar hatred for one another. It just screwed him up in the head. Uh, that's our classic uh, dead shot. They've changed him a little bit in the new 52. Uh, in the new 52, which is a reboot of the DC Comics universe, I think I've mentioned before, Deadshot was recruited to the Suicide Squad prior to the events of the first issue. Uh, he was already a member. We didn't see what led up to it. Uh, he still has a daughter that we was revealed later on, and he wears a costume similar to the one that he got in the 2000 miniseries. Uh, but his son that he had was a race of existence, and... One thing that I know it's kind of silly, but it kind of bums me out. Uh, Deadshot no longer has his trademark mustache. Uh, that's one thing about Floyd Lawton. Whenever he has his mask off, he had it always had a mustache. Now in the new 52, everyone's got to be younger and more cleaner. And I don't, I don't know. I just they got rid of his mustache. It still bothers me a little bit, but you know, what, what are you gonna do? Uh, he's portrayed as a Batman villain. And arrival of the new 52 version of Wild Dog, who's a bounty hunter. He also is bitter enemies with Captain Boomerang, implying that the two men encountered each other as villains. Uh, Captain Boomerang, if you don't know, is a Flash villain. Uh, Boomer. Uh, we'll more hear more about Boomer later on. Uh, his personality. Uh, Deadshot is portrayed as having a twisted code of ethics. As long as he's been paid for it, Accepted hit job, he will always carry it out. No exceptions. Uh, Batman want, was able to get him to... Try that again for you. Batman at one time was aim, unable to get him to stop threatening a witness. Uh, but the, the guy refused to testify because Deadshot was waiting to kill him if he did. Uh, Batman tried threatening Deadshot. Tried threatening his family. Uh, but Deadshot... Knowing the guy, guy Bat, knowing the kind of guy Batman is, knew he was bluffing and called him on it. So, 
he found one way to stop him. He froze the bank accounts of the person that hired Deadshot. Unable to get paid, Deadshot publicly canceled the assassination, letting the witness go free. That's a pretty good deal there. Uh, in his run on Suicide Squad, John Ostender delved into Deadshot's past and his twisted family background. The revelation of Deadshot having a brother whom he idolized seemed to resonate with Deadshot's gruff and occasional psychotic attachment to Rick Flagg, the team leader. Uh, Ostrander implied that the relationship also colored Deadshot's rivalry with the Batman, whom Deadshot has always been, been unable or subconsciously unwilling to kill. Uh, for a guy that claims he never misses, yeah, Batman's the one person he's never been able to kill yet. His later friendship with the Catman, yes, I said the Catman, in the Secret Six series, it seems to continue Lawton's unwitting gravitation towards having a surrogate brother. And that's uh, Floyd Lawton's personality. Uh, the only trade paperbacks or reprints of his issues I could find offhand is uh, there was a trade paperback called Deadshot Beginnings, which apparently reprinted Deadshot uh, issues 1 through 4 of his miniseries. Batman 369, Detective Comics 474, and Detective Comics 518. Uh, that was published in November of 2013. And now for Floyd's media appearances. Uh, our buddy Floyd, Deadshot, showed up in Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. He was voiced by Michael Rosenbaum, doing his impersonation of Kevin Spacey. For those that don't know, Michael Rosenbaum played Lex Luthor on the uh, Smallville TV series. Uh, he was in an episode entitled Enemy Below. He was killed. Yeah, try that again. He was hired to kill Aquaman by Orm. Uh, he was chased and apprehended by the Justice League, and then Batman forced him to reveal who his employer was. Uh, he was in two, a two-part episode called Hereafter. Uh, during a villainous rampage slash celebration of Superman's death, uh, he showed up with Calabac, Copperhead, Star Sapphire, Volcana, and Livewire. There was a Task Force X episode where uh, Floyd was about ready to get the chair. The warden comes in, he discovers Rick Flag sitting on it. Uh, getting upset with him, he's like, what's going on here? Flag gives the warden a note saying that Floyd is now a part of Task Force X. Uh, apparently Floyd's last mill was laced with an explosive nanotech. Uh, and that's how they got his cooperation. Uh, Rick Flag, Deadshot, Captain Boomerang, Clock King, and Plastique uh, still a magical automation called the Annihilator from the Justice League Watchtower. Uh, after the mission and the loss of Plastique, Rick Flag tells the others that they have five years in the squad to earn their suspended sentence. In an episode entitled Flash and Substance, Project Cadmus is dissolved, causing the early release, release of the members. Uh, Floyd whereabouts was unknown until the end of the season. Or at the end of the season. Uh, and then over in Smallville, Season 10, the second episode, it was entitled Shield. He was played by Bradley Stryker. Uh, Deadshot targeted... Clark and Cat Grant. Clark saves Cat and knocks Deadshot unconscious. Uh, Deadshot had implanted a tracking device under Clark's skin using blue kryptonite, using a bullet that had scraped him earlier. Later on, he joins the Suicide Squad with Plastique. 
I guess I should mention now, Plastique is going to be showing up on the new television television series, The Flash, this fall on CW. Make sure you check it out. Anyways, back to the story. Uh, he joins the Suicide Squad of Plastique, and then in episode 12, entitled Collateral, Chloe blackmails the Suicide Squad into working with her against the village... Uh, the village? No. The Vigilante Registration Act. Flag, Chloe, and Green Arrow work on getting the Justice League out of a... Uh, Vigilante registration prison, while Deadshot played lookout. Chloe was caught, and Deadshot shot the two members of the VRA tasked with executing her. Uh, those are good episodes. Overall, Smallville went and waned for me. I watched the whole thing, because every time I got ready to stop, they'd introduce something else from the comics. Uh, so I was really loving it the last season when they brought the Suicide, or the, yeah, Suicide Squad in. Um, but anyways, enough about... Smallville, moving on to the brave Batman, the Brave and the Bold, in an episode entitled Night of the Batman. He was voiced by Tom Kenny. Uh, Batman is hurt, and other heroes dress up as Batman to try to stop the villains from running rampant. Uh, Deadshot was shown causing havoc in Gotham City and was defeated by Green Arrow. Speaking of Green Arrow, nice little tangent, uh, in CW's Arrow, the first season, episode 3, an episode called Lone Gunman by Michael Rowe. Uh, Deadshot is identified as dosing his bullets with the nerve toxin uh, Curar and is shown tattooing his body with the names of the people he kills. He was defeated by Oliver Queen when one of Zero's Pierce's fa face mounted targeting device, supposedly killing him. The producers had stated that Deadshot was not actually killed. And then he returned in the 16th episode of season one called Dead to Rights. In that episode, Floyd was sent to, is seen at Bloodhaven apartment complex when he was hired by as an assassin and given a new, improved face-mounted targeting device by his new employer, China White, to assassinate, assassinate, assassinate even Malcolm Merlin, who is that season's big baddie. Uh, the two formed a plan to kill Malcolm by forcing him outside of his office building so Deadshot could kill him. However, Malcolm and his son Tommy, who in the series was uh, Oliver's best friend, uh, Malcolm and Tommy head to a safe room in Merlin's office. Deadshot managed to destroy the bulletproof windows by firing an explosive bullet at them, and then was able to shoot Merlin several times. Uh, Malcolm Merlin became poisoned by the curar toxin in the bullets, and then Deadshot and China White were able to escape. Uh, Merlin survived, however, after Tommy gave his father a blood transfusion. And then later on, in an episode entitled The Huntress Returns, Diggle, who is Green Arrow's sidekick, if you will, partner, whatever y'all call him, is seen reading an article about Deadshot supposedly killing the Bilalian? 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 Something like that. President. Uh, Deadshot reappears in an episode called Home Invasion, where Lila attempts to trick... Floyd Lawton into getting him to go to a plaza to receive a due target where they can rest him upon his arrival. Queen and Diggle discover the plan and decide to go there and kill him. Unfortunately, at the night... Try that again. I'm having a problem with English uh, this life. <laughs> Unfortunately, at the night of the plan, Queen doesn't show up and Deadshot notices Diggle. Tipped off by Diggle's appearance, Deadshot kills several members, undercover Argus guards, and flees the scene. Diggle follows him, 
but is swiftly defeated by Lawton, who holds him at gunpoint. Deadshot promises that he will kill Diggle, but only when he has paid for it, and then he escapes, much to Diggle's chagrin. In Season 2, our good boy Floyd returns in the sixth episode called Keep Your Enemies Closer. In this episode, Diggle is arrested in a Russian prison and encounters Deadshot in the same holding cell. The two escape, and Diggle promises to help Deadshot get out of the prison if he tells him where Lila is located in the prison. The two work together to get, Ly to get Lila, and the group leaves the prison. While escaping in a jeep, Diggle gets to the car. Try that again. <clears throat> While escaping in a jeep, Diggle gets the car to stop, and Diggle and Lawton get out. Diggle reluctantly does not kill the assassin due to the promise he made earlier, but Deadshot informs Diggle that the organization named Hive contracted him to kill John's brother. Side note, Hive has showed up in the DC Comics. That was the organization that was going against the Teen Titans back in the 80s that, uh, uh, Deathstroke's son was working for, the Ravager, when he got killed. But that's another story entirely. Um, again, Deadshot appears again in the episode entitled Suicide Squad as a member of the team, which was led by Amanda Waller. Uh, Deadshot worked alongside Diggle, Bronze Tiger, who you're going to hear more about later on within our shows, and Lila to recover a nerve agent hidden in Markovberg, Markovia. Uh, from the comics, Markovia is where Geoforce, the superhero from The Outsiders, is from. Uh, when Lawton comes across the agent, he discovers it is too large to transport. Instead, Waller, Waller sends a drone to bomb the nerve agent's location with the drone locking onto a chip inside of Deadshot. Diggle unwillingly, unwilling, wow, I'm really having a problem reading. Diggle, unwilling to let Deadshot be killed in the drone strike, convinces him to escape the rest of the team for the sake of Lawton's daughter, Zoe. The team flees in a van, only to discover that the drone is still following Lawton. Lila removes the chip from Deadshot, tosses out the vehicle, allowing them to escape the drone strike. And then finally, in the season finale, entitled Unthinkable, Diggle and Lila let Deadshot out to stop Waller from using the drone from destroying Starling City. Dun-dun-dun. And I'm sure he's going to show up in the third season when it premieres. Uh, maybe not in the premiere episode, but he will show up in the third season, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Anywho, uh, that's it for TV. And on to the film appearances of our good boy Floyd Lawton. In Kevin Smith's unused Superman Lives movie, uh, supposedly he was a leader of a group of mercenaries who wind up taking on Superman during the assassination attempt of a senator. I'm going to stop right there for a minute and think about that. Alright, I thought about it. Um, go ahead and watch for upcoming episodes and... The assassination of a of a senator is going to come into play later on down the road. Anyways, that's enough for that. Uh, in the animated movie Batman Gotham Knights, he was voiced by Jim Meskimen. Uh, he was given a visual makeover for the movie. He's more like an anti-Batman with a sophisticated socialite secret identity as a disguise. They also described Deadshot in Batman's battle as very interesting because it's a battle of man using guns against one who isn't. Within one of the film segments called Deadshot, uh, Deadshot was on a Ferris wheel using a long-range sniper rifle to assassinate a local mayor. 
and he leaves behind a cartridge case with the initial DS as his calling card. He is later contracted to assassinate Batman by the Russian Mafia using a contact on James Gordon's bait. I'm sorry, there was a contract on James Gordon as a bait. Unlike the comic book version, this Deadshot seems not to have the same death wish to die in a spectacular fashion, pleading with Batman not to kill him during their fight. Uh, then Deadshot also makes a non-speaking appearance in Superman-Batman Public Enemies. He is among the villains that's trying to capture Superman and Batman. And supposedly Deadshot's going to show up in the Batman Assault on Arkham, the new animated movie coming out. Uh, actually, it should be out in the next week or two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, voiced by Neil McDonough as a member of the Suicide Squad. And last but not least for film... Uh, supposedly, they're working on a Suicide Squad movie, I think I've mentioned previously, and Deadshot will appear in that, if it ever comes to be. Uh, again, with DC, I prefer to wait till it happens. Hopefully it will. And if so, I'll, I'll talk about it on here. Uh, on to video games. An enemy named Deadshot appears in stages 1 and 2 of the Batman Nintendo Entertainment System video game, and is mentioned by name in the instruction manual. Deadshot also appears in Batman Arkham City, Arkham City, voiced by Chris Cox. About that, Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot, is reputed to be the world's most efficient sniper assassin and is mentioned as wishing to die in a spectacular fashion. The only target he has ever missed is Batman, an area he intends to correct to maintain his perfect record. In Arkham City, he was hired by Hugo Strange to assassinate... Assassinate? I keep saying assassinate. Assassinate... Political prisoners with sensitive information about Hugo, Strange, or Arkham City itself. After encountering Lawton as Bruce Wayne while entering Arkham City, Batman later uses Deadshot's evidence traces left at the locations where he stood while committing assassinations to track down the assassin and prevent him from killing Jack Ryder, subsequently capturing him and leaving him in an abandoned monorail car. And again, just to show off my... Uh, Cyclopedic comic book useless knowledge. Jack Ryder is the uh, vigilante known as the Creeper from DC Comics. Um, Deadshot also appeared in the 3DS and the PlayStation Vista version of Lego Batman 2. DC Superheroes is an unlockable character. He can be found in the level Brawl at City Hall. Deadshot also appears as a cameo character in Justice League Gods Among Us. He is in the background of Strikers Island. Deadshot also appeared in Batman Arkham Origins with Chris, Chris Cox reprising his role. He appears as one of the eight assassins hired by the Joker. After shooting down a mid-air SWAT helicopter in an effort to get Batman's attention, he contacts Batman and demands that he come to the Gotham Merchants Bank for a showdown, using a hostage as leverage. After silent inf silently infiltrating the bank and taking down several of his henchmen, Batman manages manages to incapacitate. Try that again, kids. <clears throat> he manages to incapacitate Deadshot before he can harm the hostage, and leaves him to be taken by the police. And finally, Deadshot appears in Batman: Arkham Origins Blackgate, which is set three months after Arkham Origins. He is again voiced by Chris Cox, one of the prisoners at Blackgate Prison that escapes during a riot. He is hired by Black Mask, the Penguin, and the Joker promising to protect them from police and other dangers, although none of the three are aware that the other two also hired the assassin. Lawton encounters Batman in the prison and attacks him. However, Batman, of course, is able to defeat him. 
In the game's post-credit scene, Amanda Waller is seen leaving the prison in a helicopter with Deadshot and Bronze Tiger, possibly recruiting them for her Suicide Squad. However, one of Batman's trackers is seen on the helicopter. Dun-dun-dun. And that's Deadshot for you. I'll post some pictures of Deadshot on my site and Facebook page. Uh, now that you've all met Floyd, let's move on to the first appearance of the new Suicide Squad. This episode, I'll be covering Legends issues 1 through 3. Uh, next time, we'll do 4 through 6. Uh, let's get off the show, kids. Uh, Legends 1 had a cover price of 75 cents for a 44-page count. There was 22 pages of story, and then I believe there was a backup story, which I didn't have when I read this time. Uh, the cover date was November of 86, but it was on sale in August the 26th of 1986. The cover artist was by John Byrne. In fact, John Byrne did all the covers on the entire Legends miniseries back when he was a great artist. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stand by that. His art was really good for quite a while, and then it kind of sort of became stagnant, became the same thing. And At one time, I really loved John Byrne's artwork. At this point, this was the point when I loved it. Uh, the cover says six-part miniseries along the top, and it features Darkseid in the background with his hands open. In one hand, he has Brimstone and a villain known as Macroman, which we'll hear about this issue. In the other, has the heroes Cosmic Boy, Beast Boy, uh, possibly Changeling, uh, Wally West, The Flash, hanging on to Beast Boy, with Shazam and Firestorm, yay, Firestorm, flying above them. The blurb states, the epic of the century starts right here. Uh, this issue was, in fact, all six of these issues was edited by Mike Gold. The plotter was the wonderful and great John Ostrander. The scripter was Len Wein. Penciler, John Byrne. Inker, Carl Kiesel. Letterer, Steve Haney. Colorist, Thomas Zuko. And this entire six issues was reprinted in a book called Legend the Collection, which is printed in 1993. Uh, now to my comments on some extra little comments about the story. Uh, G. Gordon Godfrey's appearance in Batman 401, Detective Comics 3, Detective Comics 568, and Shazam: The New Beginning number four occur between pages three and nine of this story. Uh, also, uh, Firestorm he appears in Justice League of America 257, which happens between pages six and twenty of this story. And uh, also a note: this issue marks the post-crisis debut of several major characters. Though some characters appear to be direct continuation of their pre-crisis incarnations, the post-crisis versions are considered to be entirely independent from the Earth-1 counterparts. Also, Justice League uh, 258 through 258, 259, 260, 261. So 258 through 261 is the final forces of the Justice League of America of this time, which ties in of Legends. Um, enough of the chit-chat. Let's get into the actual story. Oh, one more thing before I do that. A little back, go back where we saw about the post-crisis, pre-crisis. In case you're not familiar with it, uh, back before 85, there was multiple worlds. Uh, writers may not talk to one another all the time, so you'd have Aquaman from Atlantis in one story, and then you'd have another character from Atlantis, a different Atlantis in another story. Uh, 
or Batman be doing this thing and then a different type of Batman be doing his other storylines. They eventually decided what it was was anything in the Golden Age, anything before a certain time point was on Earth 2, anything what we call the Silver Age, the more modern at the time stories, was Earth 1, the main Earth. And there's a bunch of different Earths with different characters. Characters DC required from other companies and so forth. So there was a bunch of different Earths. In 85, uh, rumor has it that the editors thought it was too confusing for fans having all these multiple Earths. So they tried to parse it down just to one Earth, and they had a storyline called The Crisis on Infinite Earths, which killed off heroes, changed origins, and streamlined things somewhat down to one Earth. Uh, there were some mistakes with it. I'm not going to get into that right now. But that's what it talks about pre-crisis and post-crisis. So in post-crisis is anything that happened after the crisis on Infinite Earths. Uh, and some origins changed, some didn't. You had to kind of figure out as you went along. Uh, so let's get into the story. So we start with the first page of a shot of the planet Apocalypse. Again, drawn by Byrne. Uh, it's a fantastic page. Uh, we then see Darkseid complaining to Desaad, one of his, his people, about Earth's cursed superheroes stopping him all the time. Uh, we see nice little holograms of Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, Shazam, Flash, and Martian Manhunter. Uh, well, I thought they were holograms at first, but on the third page, Darkseid is actually holding a Shazam piece. It's like a, a, an action figure or something maybe that he's playing with. Uh, Darkseid is monologuing about taking out Earth's legends, leaving humanity more compliant. He then brings in Glorious Godfrey and Dr. Bedlam to tell him about his plans. Operation Humiliation. He then breaks the Shazam piece he was holding earlier. Uh, we cut to Martin Stein and Kitty Faulkner, who are working on Queen's Star Lab. Uh, a techno seed pops into the middle of this experiment they're working on and creates brimstone from the heart of a nuclear generator. So as brimstone starts growing and coming out and destroying things, Martin Stein says he needs to call in Firestorm. He says, this is madness. I've got to summon Firestorm. Uh, and just so you know, Kitty Faulkner is from the Superman comics. Uh, she may not have shown up yet in the Superman comics. In fact, during Legends, I don't think she had. Or if she has, she hasn't become what she will. Later on in Superman, she'll become a superhero of sorts called Rampage, a huge monstrous creature. But that's later on. Uh, anyways, back to our story. Uh, so, Professor Martin Stein says he needs to summon Firestorm. We cut to Ronnie in the shower, vanishing to create the Firestorm. Uh, he mentions to the Professor that when they split, he's going to be stark naked. I got to tell you, I love Firestorm. He's one of my two favorite heroes. Uh, this was a great drawing on the page. Also, just so you know, in case you're not familiar with Firestorm, uh, at this time, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Martin Stein would merge to become the hero known as Firestorm. One of the two could call, him, call him Firestorm forth, and then whoever did not do the calling would vanish from where they were at and reappear, and the, they would merge where they were at. So at this point... Professor called Firestorm. Ronnie va vanished from his shower and appeared where Brimstone was at as Firestorm. Uh, so Ronnie shows up. 
as Firestorm and he sees Brimstone, his eyes are wide. I don't know. I just I love looking at the costume of Firestorm. It's just great. And then this appearance, this picture here was great. I, I got to get, get it to John Byrne. It was fantastic. Um, Firestorm tried using his powers on him, but it's not working. So he figures that Brimstone must be alive because Firestorm's powers only work on non-organic. Brimstone grabs Firestorm, saying that he needs to destroy all false gods, and he throws them to the ground. Uh, to protect himself, Firestorm, we find out, turned the air to Abestus to keep, Firestorm, to keep Brimstone from frying him. Uh, we then get a look at Deadshot fighting the Flash, which we find out is actually Wally West. Uh, little side note, the Barry Allen Flash died during the crisis. Not a lot of people know it, some do at this point. And Wally later went on to take the mantle of the Flash to honor his uncle. Uh, so Deadshot's fighting the Flash. Wally knocks the bullets back to Deadshot, knocking Deadshot out. Wally mentions how he's out of breath. And again, this is from the crisis when Barry died. Before that, Wally was dying. His powers were killing him. After the crisis, uh, something happened to Wally, and his, his powers kicked back in and healed him. But he's not quite as fast as he used to be, not quite as powerful. But he's still the Flash, all right? Um, the crowd makes comments about his change, about the way he looks different. He's taller. Or not quite as tall, not quite as fast. He seems a little different. Because, again, the average Joe in the street doesn't know that Barry Allen died saving their their lives during the crisis. Uh, Wally drops Deadshot off the police, and then he goes to the Titans Tower, where we see Changeling is watching Godfrey on TV. G. Gordon Godfrey. Uh, from a few lines of dialogue here, we know everything we need to know about the characters. Um... Uh, Godfrey's on TV saying how heroes are overrated and and they're actually not helping us. They're causing more damage than they actually help. Uh, changing comments how Wally might want to get a new identity because uh, Wally's complaining about how it's hard for him to carry on the Flash's legacy when he's not as good as his uncle was. But Wally lets him know he doesn't want to let the Flash legacy vanish. As Godfrey is dissing heroes on the TV, the power goes out. Uh, we cut to the TV studio where the power is out, and we see Billy Batson turning into the Shazam, turning turning into Shazam. Uh, they just had a miniseries called Shazam: The New Beginning, which retold Shazam or Captain Marvel's origin. Um, as Billy goes to turn into Shazam or Captain Marvel, Godfrey is watching from a doorway, commenting how his master will be pleased. We then see Shazam. I keep calling him Shazam, but it's actually Captain Marvel fighting a giant named Macroman. I believe this is Macroman's first and only real appearance. He's just a giant guy that Captain Marvel has to fight. Uh, Captain Marvel knocks Macroman onto the roof. There they have a little tussle. Macroman squeezes uh, Captain Marvel and starts squeezing the heck out of him. The only way free is he has to turn back into Billy so he can slip out of the guy's fingers since Billy's a little kid. Uh, Captain Marvel says his magic word, Shazam! Lightning comes down and fries Macro Man, knocking him off the building. And Billy Batson just sitting there watching this, just horrified that he, his magic lightning has killed somebody. Because he's a young kid with the powers of God, and those powers, from what he can see, has just killed somebody. I just love the expression on Billy's face on this page. <laughs> 
We then cut to uh, an office where Rick Flagg is coming into the office, and we see it's the Task Force X office, and we see files on the new Task Force X, and he meets Amanda Waller. Amanda has files on the new members they want to use. Rick picks up the file, starts looking through them, and realizes who's in there. He's like, come on, you can't be serious. Are you, are you out of your cotton-picking mind, lady? Amanda does not like this, and she basically tells him, you know, I couldn't be more serious. And by the way, if you ever call me any... If you ever... Try that again. And by the way, if you ever, again, call anything about me cotton-picking, mister, I'll stuff those bright, shiny eagles on your shoulder so far up your butt, they'll be able to essence your skull. Because if you don't know, if you haven't seen my picture, Amanda Waller is a uh, woman of African-American descent. So cotton picking doesn't really go over too well. So anyways, uh, Amanda tells Rick that, you know, well, if you can't do this job, let me know and I'll find something that can do it. And Rick says, well, no man or woman alive can do it better, Miss Waller. And for your information, I have never allowed my personal opinions to interfere with the performance of my duty. And I don't intend to start now. Are we clear on that lady? And Amanda replies, clear as Mississippi mud, Colonel Flagg. Now, let's say we get down to cases. Task Force X, Task Force X may be needed a lot sooner than I'd thought. We cut over to a diner where we see a man in a trench coat reading a paper, talking about how he's uh, actually enjoys sitting in an actual diner in 1986. Uh, we find out that this is uh, Cosmic Boy. He's from the 30th century, a member of the Legion of Superheroes that's been stuck in our time. Uh, as he's getting another cup of coffee, Brimstone causes an explosion nearby. Uh, Cosmic Boy says, Great Galaxies! and flies out as Cosmic Boy to help save the day. He makes a comment to how Brimstone Dorse Validus, which is a uh, one of the villains that he fights on a regular basis in the 30th century. Uh, Brimstone sees him flying up, says, So another false god has come to tempt the wrath of Brimstone. But you will learn. Soon you will all learn. Brimstone turns an angry god, and Brimstone shall not be mocked. And just start destroying things. Cosmic Boy makes a note how the heat is unbearable, and he his suit protected him from the heat. He's a little fight between Cosmic Boy and Doomsday. Uh, Cosmic Boy gets knocked down to the ground, and as he's sitting there, the last panel of page 19, he's looking all behaggered and just beat up. Off from off panel, we hear someone say, Need a helping hand, fella? Who? He looks up, and we see the Just League of America. And of course, in typical comics fashion, they introduce themselves. We have Vibe, Vixen, Elongated Man, Martian Manhunter, Gypsy, Steel, and of course, everyone's favorite, Firestorm. Firestorm says, after everyone introduces himself, Firestorm finishes off by saying, and everybody's favorite nuclear man makes it an uneven baker's half dozen. But for simplicity's sake, Pinky, just call us Justice League of America. And Cosmic Boy pipes off and says, well, you're not exactly a legion, but boy, am I glad you're here. And the reason for the Pinky comment is that Cosmic Boy's costume is uh, pink. Which I guess is cool in the 30th century, back in the 80s. It wasn't quite so popular of a costume, I don't think. Anyways, and we end up with a, a cop and a crowd looking at a hand that's just destroyed, it's burnt. Uh, apparently someone says it smells like burnt skunk. And people tell them, yeah, that, you know, we saw him falling from the sky like a falling angel. 
Another guy says, yeah, he was incinerated on a roof by a guy in a bright red costume. And the cop says, what, he was murdered by Santa Claus? We cut over to Billy looking just horrified. He's like, why well, do you mean to do it on purpose? But that still doesn't change what I did. Captain Marvel is responsible for the death of Macroman. And that means I must never become Captain Marvel again. Never again. As Billy kind of stumbles away in the background, we see Darkseid laughing. Next month, things get worse. Worst. Things get worse. Breach of faith. And that ends the first issue of Legends. Again, it was a great issue. It was fantastic art by John Byrne. Uh, I love Ostrander's and Len Wein's uh, dialogue and characterizations. I'm not sure how much of what Ostrander did, how much Wein did, but together they were great. Uh, Carl Kiesel's inks were fantastic. It was just, again, whenever I open these comics and reread them, it just makes me smile. These are fantastic, wonderful comics. If you haven't read these yet, definitely go out and, and buy Legends, the trade paperback. It's fantastic. But I, I could sit here and go on all day about and say the same thing, that I love the artwork. But it's great. It's a great story. I don't know about anyone else, but I thought this was great. Uh, anyways, enough saying the word great. Let's move on to the next issue, Legends Issue 2. Again, 75 cents for a 22-page story. Just can't get that nowadays. Uh, it was a cover date of December 1986. But again, as Shag says, you need to hop in either your DeLorean or your Wayback Machine and go to September the 25th of 1986 if you want to pick this bad boy up. Fresh off the shelf. Again, editor by Mike Gold. Plotter was John Ostender. Scripter was still Len Wein. Penciler, John Byrne. Inker, Carl Kiesel. Letter, Steve Haney. Colorist, Thomas Zuko. Again, the cover was by Byrne. It shows an angry mob surrounding Superman, Batman, Guy Gardner, Beetle. Uh, again, it was a great cover. Uh, clearly, you can tell from the way the characters look that it was John Byrne. He's got this look about his characters. Not in a bad way. Uh, later on, it will become, I think, in my opinion. But at this point, it, it was great. It was a fantastic cover. Uh, we start the story. It's called Breach of Faith. Uh, it starts out by saying, what is the sound of the end of the world? And it talks about the still smoldering remains of Macroman being hit by magic lightning. And we see a fantastic scene of cops keeping the crowd back. And a gigantic flame-broiled Macroman just laying there on the ground. I like this one line here. It says, for Macroman, at least the world ended with a bang, not a whimper. Uh, we see a news reporter named Gwyneth Tate talking about what happened. Uh, she also introduces noted psychologist Dr. G. Gordon Godfrey, and he comes in and again starts bashing superheroes. We cut to the living room of a family, a father, wife, their two little kids, and they're playing, watching TV. Uh, the father says, the man, sir, the man has a point, because Godfrey's saying that, you know, our world's too sophisticated, too complicated, too simply too dangerous for the outdated notion of a heroic idea. It's time to put all childish notions behind us. The father says, man has a point. Mom says, he certainly does. And the little girl says, yeah, on top of his head. We cut back to the crowd where uh, Godfrey's trying to get the people riled up. Some of the people agree with him. Some don't so much. Billy's watching this, and, and it's all getting to him. Like People are chanting, oh, go Godfrey, down with superheroes. 
And Billy's getting upset and just kind of wanders away saying, no, no, I can't believe that I did that. Uh, then we do a flashback to the previous issue where we show Godfrey talking with Batson, uh, Billy Batson on TV. Uh, the power went out. Billy turned into Captain Marvel, fought Macro Man, called his lightning, fried him. And this panel here, I don't know, it's just it's a small panel showing Billy curled up, looks like by a trash can. He's got tears streaming from his eyes. It's just a... To me, it's an emotional scene, panel. Uh, Burn and everyone involved did a fantastic job just conveying Billy's fears and his, his, his self-hatred. I don't know about self-hatred so much at this point, but it's just his fear of what he's done. And this says, what a sound... What is the sound of the world? For a young Billy Batson, it is a single whispered word. Shazam. We see Darkseid looking on upon this, telling that all the superheroes are going to join him in despair. Uh, we have Darkseid and Granny Goodness. Uh, they're bringing in a uh, an empty form. Uh, what do they call them? Uh, an animate. They're bringing this animate, which suddenly takes form and becomes Dr. Bedlam. And at this point, we see that it was actually Bedlam who psionically induced Captain Marvel to attempt the transformation, which triggered some explosives that were hidden in Macroman's chest, which made it look like the lightning fried Macroman, but it wasn't. And Saad says, well, Bedlam experienced Macroman's death and was traumatized. Given enough time, he'll recover. Uh, we show Doc... Uh, Darkseid's talking to somebody. We see that it's Phantom Stranger. And Phantom Stranger saying that, you know, order must be chosen, chosen never imposed. That your plan's not going to work. That humankind has free will that's going to tip the balance in humanity's favor. Uh, then we cut to Darkseid is showing Phantom Stranger one of his newest creations, Brimstone. It's part of his second phase. Uh, back on Earth, Brimstone is saying, I am Brimstone, the fallen angel. Come to purge this frail Earth and false of uh, false gods and graven idols. Come into Brimstone, sinners, that ye may be cleansed. Johns Jones, the Martian Manhunter, leaps up and attacks the Brimstone. The Brimstone? Attacks Brimstone. With a elongated man telling him to wait, you're not thinking straight. The monster was a living fire, which is the Martian's greatest weakness. Luckily, John snapped out at the last second, zoomed away before Brimstone could hurt him. Vibe shakes the ground, which brings Brimstone falling down. But as he does, he creates a giant fire sword and slashes into Billy, bringing it down. And the Martian Manor swings up and starts trying to knock the building, but it's got more rubble than even he can handle. And the building collapses and falls and covers the Justice League. We see Firestorm saying, too late, nowhere to hide. We're all going to be buried alive. And this page ends with what is the sound of the end of the world? The Cosmic Boy and the Justice League of America? It may well be the tortured screams and shattered shattered glass and twisted metal and the sibilant hiss of settling dust with Brimstone laughing in the background going, ha, 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 ha. My only question here is why didn't Firestorm turn intangible or try turning the, the, shrap, the uh, shrapnel, I guess, the debris and something else? One small mistake. Everything else was really good, so I'm not going to fault him too much for that. But that is a question I would have: is 
why didn't Firestorm do a little more? Because Firestorm, I don't know, I think he could have, at the bare minimum, phased through, turned himself intangible and flew through the building, or turned the, the falling pieces, a lot of it, into something else, like air, snow, something. <clears throat> and we've seen him do that before. Uh, just either Ostrander or Ween didn't know Firestorm's capabilities or something and just didn't include that. Uh, we cut over to our prison cell, Prisoner 23964, uh, which we'll learn is Floyd Lawton, Deadshot, who I mentioned earlier in the broadcast. Uh, Rick Flagg comes in and actually introduces him. You're Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot. Floyd, Floyd asks, you know, what, what, I win the lottery again? Rick tells him, that I'm here to offer you a job. If you're willing to complete it, survive it, all charges will be dropped immediately. And Floyd says, well, hey, you know, I'm not going to, you know, what if I say yes and I just run away once I'm out of here? Rick says, well, for one thing, my friend here will be here to rip both your legs and beat you to death with them. And that's where we're first introduced to the Bronze Tiger. Uh, so they leave this prison. Or as they're leaving, you know, Floyd's like, well, this job you say is dangerous. Rick says, in a word, it's suicide. Hey, sounds fair to me. Currently, you got yourself a deal. As they leave, the warden sitting there wondering, the court order allows them to take Lawton, but just what the hell is Task Force X? Uh, we cut into a bank robbery. Uh, we got four or five armed guys here shooting up a bank. One, they're demanding money. They're demanding getaway, a getaway car. All of a sudden, we see a shadow. And someone says, sounds like a good idea. So I say you do a little begging, punk. We see Batman zooming out of the sky on his bat rope to fight the, the uh, bank robbers. Which, again, it's a great, I love this old school Batman look. It's, you know, the usual gray with the blue trunks, blue gloves. His face in shadows comes swooping down out of the sky. It's a fantastic image. The last panel on here is uh, Robin the Boy Wonder knocking out a bad guy. There's a little tussle. Uh, Batman demands one of the guys to give him his gun before he gets before someone gets hurt. The guy says, "No, get back! I'll kill you." Batman gives takes the gun from him and gives him a karate chop. And says, "Now sleep." Knocks him out. The police bust in. Actually, looks like probably the SWAT team. Uh, they're upset that they had that Batman did their job for him. One of the guys named Kirkland is you know starting to go off on Batman. Gordon shows them, tell him, "You know, Kirkland's enough." Kirkland's like, "Well, you know, we had this under control. Someone could have got hurt." Gordon's like, well, but no one did, did they? And just calm down. The crowd begins murmuring, hey, that, why, that, why, why is Gordon trying to keep that cop quiet? Yeah, we could have been killed. The crowd turns on Batman and Robin. They start attacking Robin. Batman is going to help him, but suddenly someone throws a bottle of perfume in his face, blinding him. Gordon tells him to get out of here, that, you know, leave Robin to him. And Batman's like, well, I don't trust your men. Gordon's like, old friend, you have no choice. We may get you away from here. The very sight of you is inciting that mob, stirring them into a frenzy. For once in your life, listen to reason. I promise you, Robin will join us. Batman trusts Gordon and leaves. And a couple of the cops are talking in the background like, you know what? Arrogant, isn't he? And one of the ones like, well, maybe that Godfrey guy is right. Uh, we cut to Chicago. Uh, where we got someone named Willard dealing uh, drugs. At this time, the Blue Beetle, who's another one of my... One of my favorite heroes. I, I like. He's in my top five. I like Blue Beetle. He shows up and he tells the guy, you know, 
hey, it's going to be difficult doing business in a body cast. About this time, the police show up, and they tell him, well, thanks for nothing. We've been watching this guy for weeks, trying to get a lead to his connection, and you've blown it. Beatles, oh, I'm sorry about that. I didn't know that. And the guy's like, wait a minute, this guy's my connection. Yeah, that's right. He was shaking me down for his cut. So the police turn their guns on Blue Beetle. They tell him not to move. You're under arrest. He leaps over the cops and take, gets out of there, jumps onto his bug, which I love, uh, and gets away. And at this point, he's, he's rethinking his old decision to become the Blue Beetle, since the public's not really into him right now. Then we cut to an airplane with one of the wings, the engine exploding, it's crashing, uh, Guy Gardner, a Green Lantern, shows up, he tells him this exactly what he's been looking for to prove to the world, and those wimp ring slingers, that Guy Gardner is the one, only true Green Lantern, so he starts catching, catching, catching the, track, the fragments from the engine, and some of the, a piece of it's yellow, and it flies through and hits him in the head. Because their ring doesn't work on anything yellow. Knocks him kind of loopy, so he's not, not quite as focused as he was. He makes a giant hand, catches the plane, and sets it down in the middle of a freeway. He lands to make sure everyone's alright. And uh, the people in the cars, they're getting mad at him that they set him right in the middle of the uh, freeway. Right in the middle of rush hour. So they're getting upset that, you know, Gardner, instead of petting it in a vacant field or something, just set down right in the middle of the freeway not knowing that he got injured by the shrapnel and was a little groggy. They think he's showing off. They're agreeing with Godfrey that, you know, superheroes are a menace. Guy Garner flies away, tell him, you know what? If you got a problem, take it up with your congressman. Me, I've got more important things to worry about. And we see a caption saying, and thus the poison grows. Just the public becoming more and more disfranchised with our heroes. Uh, we cut over to Titan's Tower, a private island in New York's East River, where we have Wally and Changeling, excuse me, standing over a bed with uh, Cosmic Boy in it. Cosmic Boy, Cosmic Boy sits up, asks if there's any word on Brimstone, and they're like, well, I don't know anything about that guy. Flash's like, anything you can tell us can help us. Cosmic Boy's, well, sorry, you know more than I do at this point. I, I don't know anything about him. I need to find out. Uh, he says that the lady I love is out there in the middle of all this insanity. So he takes off to find him, find his lady love. Uh, the last panel again shows the casual reader may not know who this is, but I do, and actually it says it here. Uh, we see Professor Ivo, who has shown up in the Arrow TV series. Uh, anyways, we see Professor Ivo saying that you know, moment has come for the vengeance of Professor Ivo. Uh, we cut to the White House, where we see Reagan watching news broadcast of all this, talking of Superman, telling things are getting out of hand. And at this point, something needs to be done. And at this point, he's going to issue a directive, uh, an executive order. From this moment on, all so-called costume superheroes are to cease their activities until the crisis is past. Even Superman. Uh, we cut back to Gotham. We see a couple of cops standing over the body of Robin. And they're getting on the horn saying, well, better call the commissioner and tell him we found Robin. Or at least what's left of him. The end. Next, send for the Suicide Squad. Dun dun dun. Which is what we've been leading up to, kids. And as far as the Professor Ivo reference I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, that was that's actually in reference to the last four issues of the Justice League of America, where Ivo tries to take out the Justice League. Willie, read the last four issues of the Justice League of America and find out for yourself. 
Or maybe I just told you by telling you the last four issues. I don't know. Read them and find out. All right. Uh, I thought that was a good storyline, too. That was uh, Justice League 258, 259, 260, and 261. Uh, if you haven't read them yet, go read them. And finally, that brings us up to our third issue, issue three of Legends. Again, it was 75 cents for a 22-page story. The cover says it came out in December of 1986. But once again, to actually buy this off the newsstand, you have to go back to September the 25th of 1986. Again, editor was still Mike Gold. Plotter was John Ostender. Scripter still Len Wein. Penciler, John Byrne. Inker, Carl Kiesel. Letter, Steve Haney. Colorist, Thomas Zuko. The cover is by Byrne, once again. Uh, we show Brimstone holding a fiery sword on top of Mount Rushmore with the Suicide Squad down below him. Uh, we see Boomer Captain Boomerang, Deadshot, Blockbuster, Bronze Tiger, and Enchantress. And then up on the uh, above all this, kind of ghost images almost, we see Superman, Changeling, The Flash, and Batman watching this. Along, just to let you know, along the bottom of all these pages, there are scenes with Darkseid, Phantom Strangers, Desaad, watching everything that's been going on so far. Uh, they explain that G. Gordon Godfrey is Glorious Godfrey in disguise, affecting the humans. They talk about Macroman's death and Dr. Bedlam and the Shazam, or the Captain Marvel issue. Uh, he relates the Brimstone story, Brimstone's destruction, and the fall of another legend, which all takes place during this issue. Uh, that's captioned along the bottom of each page, little little scenes. Uh, so we start out the actual story with uh, Titan's Tower in Manhattan's East River. Uh, a powerful image to me, at least. We see Titan's Tower with, uh, we don't actually see the people, we just see hands in the air. Uh, looks like a cocktail motus being thrown. Sign saying, heroes go home, no more super freaks. Uh, one looks like probably a lady, because she's got bang bangles or something on her arm with her, a stick. Maybe it's a guy with a big watch. Yeah, it looks kind of manly. Maybe it's a man with a watch, big watch. A stick in his hand. Another guy with a baseball bat. Uh, people just yelling, Titans go home, down of superheroes. Uh, we go inside the tower where we see uh, Sarge Still, who works with Amanda. He's telling them the uh, Wally and Gar, Garfield, Logan, Changeling, that this overreaction is why the president is so adamant about all superheroes cease their activities. Gar's like, well, this isn't our fault. Why don't you go sit on G. Gordon Godfrey? He's responsible. Still's like, well, it's not my not my problem whose fault it is. I'm just doing what I was told. Uh, they ask, well, what about Batman, Superman, all the others? Or you nailed us Titans because you, we've kept our we've never kept our headquarters secrets. Wally tells him, you can't keep us a prisoner like this. Still, we have rights. Still, so that's for the courts to decide. As he sets, kind of sets his gun down, it looks like. Garfield, Changeling changes into a tiger, or a lion. And they tell him, well, do what you have to do, Bright Eyes, and forgive us if we do the same. Still says, it's no jokes, I will shoot you if I have to. And Wally tells him, your choice. We're trusting you make the right move. They leave. Sarge, of course, doesn't shoot him. He says, blast, those kids could teach Clint Eastwood a thing, or a thing or two about nerves. Explain this to the boys upstairs is not going to be fun. Uh, we cut back to a hidden bunker 
But the America's military refuses to admit it even exists, where we see Captain Boomerang, we see Blockbuster, Enchantress, and some soldiers standing with Amanda Waller. Uh, boomerang getting all cocky, saying that he's feeling kind of naked without his boomerangs. Any chance of me speaking to the gent in charge about getting them back? Waller's like, you really don't listen, do you, Aussie? For the last time, I am the gent in charge, and the name is Mrs. Waller. She grabs him by his, his handkerchief, his uh, scarf, or his ascot, or whatever the hell it is around his neck. And she's like, you ever call me Amanda, or Sheila, or Madeer again, and you'll be using those cockeyed sticks of yours as splints. At this time, Flag shows up with Bronze Tiger and Deadshot, and he tells the gang that together with those that's already there, they make up the core of Task Force X. And Waller says that she's explained the, that if they accept the mission, they succeed, and somehow manage to survive, all criminal charges will be dropped. And Captain Boomerang's like, well, I trust you, Cobbers, for a minute. There's something weird going on. I want to know what it is. I want to know what it is before I, about that time, Amanda puts a cuff on one of Boomer's wrists. And he's like, what is this? And they explain that it's a, uh, a little insurance policy. It's an explosive bracelet. They wander off from Colonel Flagg. Uh, he'll blow it up and blow off their hand. Flagg then says that Blockbuster, Enchantress, and the Bronze Tiger doesn't have to wear the bracelets because they've joined the team for other reasons. Deadshot's like, let's, let's get this going. What's going on? Give us the mission. Amanda's like, well, here's your mission, Deadshot. It's your job to eliminate him. Take a good look at Brimstone, mister. And we see Brimstone on top of Mount Rushmore with his flaming sword. Uh, we cut to an Amanda alleyway where we see Billy Batson sulking through still thinking about how Macroman was killed, how it's his fault, how he needs to do something to stop it, but he can't do it. And then we see the little girl from, I think it was last issue, uh, show up. Uh, she tells him his name's Separated. Sorry, her name is Lisa, and she got separated from her mom and dad by the crowd. Uh, they become friends. We cut back to Mount Rushmore in South Dakota, where the squad's trudging up Mount Rushmore. Brimstone standing there saying, Welcome, sinners. Brimstone is expecting you. I presume you seek to save these four false idols from my flaming wrath, but no power on all this earth shall stay this fallen angel from his appointed task. Appointed task. Blows up the ground underneath him. Deadshot's got a gun. He's like, You expect me to bring Brimstone down with this? Flag's like, From our analyst, says this monster is actually a superheated hydrogen plasma given form by several sophisticated magnetic fields. The experimental laser rifle he's holding has been specifically designed to penetrate that field. The trick is to get a clear shot at the Nexus field to take out Brimstone's heart, if you will. Uh, a blockbuster picks up the side of the mountain where Brimstone's at and just lifts it up and tilts it, while Captain Boomerang uh, throws one of, his boom one of his baffle rings, as he calls it, which goes swirling around Brimstone head, trying to you know, make him get confused and dizzy. Brimstone shoots a blast of fire down at the group. And Enchantress tries to uh, transmute into something less dangerous, but appears sentient and immune to her mystical powers. Uh, we cut over to a hospital in Gotham City, where Bruce Wayne's watching the streets. In the bed next to him, we see Jason Todd, a.k.a. Robin, 
got his leg in a cast, his head's wrapped up in bandages, his arms in a sling. And uh, Jason's telling him, you know, he's sorry that he felt it being the new Robin. And Bruce's like, well, don't be, it's not your fault. It's, you know, you, you went against a bloodthirsty mob, that much you could do about it. I'm just lucky you're still alive. And D Jason's like, well, I bet Dick never messed up this bad. And Bruce's like, trust me, Jay, he's had his moments. As they're talking, they hear gunshots. Uh, Batman's like, well, I can't believe this is intentional. Goaded by G. Gordon Godfrey, they were out of control. They didn't know what they were doing. Jason's like, oh, they knew what they were doing, Bruce. Maybe deep down they really hate us. Maybe they fear, us more, fear the Batman more than criminals do. Maybe remind them too much of everything that they are not and they can never hope to be. Bruce walks out saying, you're wrong, Jay. The president is wrong. And maybe it's t uh, time I proved it to you both. The only way I know how. He leaves. Uh, we cut back to Mount Rushmore, where we see Deadshot saying, Well, Flyboy, you're right about this mission. It's definitely suicide. Flag makes a note, note that maybe the personality profile on Deadshot was right. Maybe he does have a de death wish. We see uh, Blockbuster still tearing the ground up, trying to get to Brimstone. Brimstone reaches down, picks up uh, Blockbuster and just fries him into nothingness. Just into a cinder and drops him to the ground. Uh, Captain Boomerang's like, he fried the poor cobber. Blockbuster is dead. Then we, we show Deadshot locking on with his gun and he shoots and hits him right in the heart. Brimstone's like, no, such pain, this cannot be. Help me, father. Help thy faithful servant. And for an instant, the creature known as Brimstone glows bright with the light of a thousand suns. As he suddenly explodes and just becomes a huge fireball, coming apart at the seams. As he comes apart, he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? Fireball goes towards our heroes. Well, I'm calling them heroes. They're doing a heroic job right now. Ron Siger's like, we well, you need know, Chantress, do something. Chantress's like, hey, no problem, pussycat. Now that the flame, flaming plasma is no longer sentient, a simple enchantment, and voila, instant snowstorm. So she changes all the fire into snow. Uh, she's like, now that Brimstone's been dealt with, it's time to deal with you. She starts to get ready to cast a spell on the group when Bronze Tiger reaches out and gives her a nerve pinch and knocks her out. Bronze Tiger tells Flag that she was, he was right. Too much magic drove poor June right over the dark side. And... Flag's like, well, that's why we keep you here, to keep her in line. And uh, Captain Boomerang's like, I don't believe it, except for the poor Blockbuster, we're all still alive. But we weren't supposed to be, were we, Flag? We're only a suicide squad, just so much cannon fodder. We was all supposed to die, weren't we? Flag's like, everyone on this mission was considered expendable, Boomerang, including me. And Boomerang's like, oh, uh, never mind, when he realized that even Flag was there, he, Flag knew he, he could die on this mission. Uh, we cut back to the White House, where we see Reagan talking to Superman, and you know Superman's telling him, "Well, I understand you know, your judgment, and I'm sure you're going to do the best you can. Everything will work out fine in the long run. Now, if you excuse me, I have some business to to, but you don't have to worry. Even though I disagree with your edict, I fully intend to obey it. You have my word on that." As he flies away, Reagan's like, "No man's word is worth more. Thank you, Superman, and Godspeed." We cut to a suburban home where we see Billy sitting around with uh, the family from earlier, little Lisa and her mom and dad and the, her little 
I can't tell if it's a little girl or a little boy. Uh, her younger sibling, we'll call him, is playing a couple of superhero toys. Uh, her Lisa's dad's like, have some dinner with us and we'll call your folks. Billy's like, well, I can't do that. I'm an orphan. And uh, he's like, well, we'll call your guardian or whoever, son. Everybody has to have someone. The first Billy boy, chow down. As they're eating, uh, I think that's a little girl. Turns on the news, and again, we have Godfrey going off on heroes. The little girl sitting there by the TV playing with Superman and some other doll. I can't make out who it is. And she's saying, come on, Superman, go get him. Billy's like, gee, Gordon Godfrey again. That man is everywhere. Lisa's like, what a doofus. Her dad's like, young lady, I won't have that sort of language in this house. Batman is trying to make a, this a better world for all of us. And frankly, I agree with him. It's about time somebody did something about all those superpowered menaces before they do something about us. He takes his little kid's Superman doll and throws it into the fire. Uh, Billy sees that and it just affects him, seeing Superman's toy burning. He gets up and runs out. Uh, Lisa scolds her dad, says, you know, I was real swift. She's like, Lisa, I'm sorry about the boy, but I'm doing what's best for my family. She runs out after Billy, tells him, you know, what's wrong. And Billy's like, well, someone's burning again. It's because of him, because of Captain Marvel. And Lisa's like, what, what are you saying? That's not true. Captain Marvel's a hero. I believe in heroes, don't you? And Billy's like, I don't know if I do anymore or not. And the last panel on this page, on page 21, we see Darkseid. I'm sorry, Phantom Stranger has been talking of Darkseid, as I said previously. They're watching what's going on. And Phantom Stranger's like, you see, Darkseid? That is why your defeat is inevitable. For that is the one battlefield on which you can never hope to triumph. The hearts and minds of the children. The children will always believe in heroes. Darkseid's like, they're young, stranger. They'll learn. But the point may soon be moot. For there may be no heroes left to believe in once I unleash my wondrous warhounds. We see a wonderful picture of Darkseid standing next to a, a gigantic metal warhound. Uh, another great burn a uh, sp uh, splash page, I guess it is. It's just one page, but it's just a full full page of Darkseid saying the Warhound. It's just great example of Burn. Wonderful artwork. Uh, next month, Cry Havoc. Again, I can't say it enough. I, I, I love the story. I love the artwork in this. I love all three issues of this. Legends, in my opinion, is a great series. Uh... Both Ostinger and uh, Len Wein did a fantastic job on the story. John Byrne did his immaculate artwork. I definitely recommend if you haven't read these. Uh, hopefully, I'm telling you enough to make you enjoy it. Definitely either... I'm sure you can find the, the actual single issues for not very much. If not, there's a trade paperback. Check in-stock trades. They usually have good deals. Uh, check it out, kids. And that'll do it for our second incredible episode of Task Force X. Join us next episode when we when I review issues four through six, the concluding issues of the Legends miniseries. Also, we're going to do a character profile of Blockbuster. Be here or be square. See you, kids. And thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main podcast of Head Speaks where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever else is bugging me that week. My home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Please email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. That's taskforcex 
at headspeaks.com, all one word. I am also on Facebook at Task Force X. If you're on Google+, look for Task Force X under People and Pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership whatsoever to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, Task Force X, or any of the other characters mentioned in the show. I'm just a big old fan wanting to spread the Task Force love with everyone else. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for the Suicide Squad and Checkmate comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that manages you. Pick up a comic, it's fun. Now, make sure to join us next time for another fun-filled podcast from your friendly neighborhood brotherhead. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages.